RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? It's going really well. So last week, we took a bit longer than we thought to cover the uh, the bulletin board set of adventures, and, and this week, we will finish that up. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about this one. And, and, and our, our one ever, well, not our one ever, but our main our main problem player experience that we ever had. I mean, we're, I think all of us are, one, except for Mike, Mike's probably not so much, but I think all of us are occasionally problem players. Yes. I know I am. Well, and everyone's, with a mix of, of GMs and players, everyone is someone's problem player. But it also, I think it comes down to, especially in your first game, you want to put your best foot forward. Yes. But we'll get into that. So RPGLessonsLearned.com, uh, if you're listening and you and you haven't subscribed, please do. Uh, every week we put out a new episode. Every week we talk about our own previous games. And every week we break down our own successes and failures. Uh, we really hope that by making our lessons learned um, accessible and very specific, that we can help you mature as a player and as a GM just by listening. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great way of putting it. I, I love the way you, you described that. We should probably pull that segment out and use it elsewhere in other in future episodes. Yes, we should. So jumping in, um, last time I was I was reading the bulletin board postings and then talking about the, the little miniature session that we had. Um, so this bulletin board posting was for the Temple of Bahamut. So citizens, the Temple <laughs> of Bahamut has been taken by monsters most foul. Rally, defend, 200 gold pieces. Cleric Algol. So I like the name. Yes. Algol. Um these, these were again on the on the Paizo Pathfinder game mastery um cards. As th- those were the maps. And I had this map that was kind of a temple entryway. And we had a, a, a really good time in this combat, I think. Uh, I don't know if you remember the, the the miniatures in this case, Brian, but the miniatures were actually the these kind of blue dog-looking things with tentacles for mouths, and they were they were these pre-painted Pathfinder miniatures. I, I should have brought some so I could tell you what, exactly what they were, but uh, those were miniatures, and then also these really big, like almost John Carter of Mars, white ape-looking creatures with also, also tentacle, tentacled mouths, but very ape-like bodies and, and with white fur. So very, again, very, very alien, continuing the theme of, of monsters from another dimension. And they had taken over, they, they, they had welled up out of this pool of, of more or less holy water, this holy pool, and, and defeated quite a few clerics and acolytes in this temple and taken over the temple. And you guys were able to go in and take it back. Any of that ringing bells? Yeah, I think the last week's um, games were more concrete in my memory than this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that may be because of another reason that we'll get into. Yes. So. This was our, our, our first game, welcoming a, a, a new player who had, you know, rolled his own character to join us. And we'll start off with some older lessons learned, and we'll ease into the new player. Um, reiterating last week's lesson learned about the thief and, and how I should have brought over experience points yeah. instead of leveling, uh, Chris was, again, terribly ineffective in this combat. He tried to climb some walls, and, and BFRPG... Like old school RPGs, the skill roll was not your D20 plus a modifier. There were actually thief skills that relied on a D percentage roll. So thieves, as they, as they level up, they had, they had these skills like pickpocket was a skill. 
And as you level up, the percentage increases and your dexterity has nothing to do with it. It's purely this, this new percentage target on a table by thief, le- thief level with no input from dexterity. Um, and, and that was alien to us. But climb was one of those deep percentage checks. And Chris tried to get advantageous position by climbing and hiding and things that he was very used to doing in fourth edition with his D20 plus some modifiers. And those percentage checks just royally screwed him over because at level seven, he was still rocking, you know, 40 and 50% for different roles where, where he was, he was going to fail 60% of the time. And he did. And I think that's something that we uh, are mindful of right now, especially in the game that we're playing in Pathfinder, because uh, I, I constantly joke that my character is only level two when everybody else is a higher level. And again, because as a wizard, my leveling is, um, it takes me longer. And I don't think it makes me any less effective uh, because, of course, as a wizard, I have the abilities to do X, Y, and Z where other people don't have that. Um, but it, I don't know. I, 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 guess. I, I hate to break it to you, actually, but you're wrong. So in Pathfinder... Um, just like fourth edition, uh-huh. you all the levels are the same. It doesn't take a wizard longer. To it's level. because I missed. It's games. because you're missing sessions. Dang it! Yes. Okay. Well, um, maybe, uh, but I don't feel less effective. Well, you just hit level three. Well, I didn't. I just today hit level three. Yes. This past week, I'm going to level up my character. I actually uh, just yesterday got the Pathfinder book in the uh, in the mail. Uh, so between now and then, I'm going to for our next game, I'm actually going to level my character up. But I'm I'm a level two character playing with level three characters, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like I am any less effective. Yeah, I'm watching that really closely, by the way. So I, I that's a lesson learned as we play Pathfinder right now. It's a lesson learned from from this BFRPG experience, which again is no slight to BFRPG. Let me keep emphasizing that it's my failure to understand leveling and conversion. So completely my failure. BFRPG is a great system, and I love it, and I'm going to run it at, at Mace, actually. I, I, I really do like BFRPG. Actually, so this episode, we recorded these in advance. Uh, so this episode is actually going to post in July, which means from this point, we're only, what, three or four months away from Mace? Yeah, Mace is in um, November. So we should start mentioning that. So if anybody out there in the Charlotte, North Carolina area listens... Um, hit us up because we're going to be at Mace and it'll be a lot of fun. Yep. I don't know when you can post games, but they certainly won't be posted by July. Um, but I imagine certainly in October, I will have the games added to Ogre, the online gaming registration event or something. I can't remember what Ogre stands for. Yeah. But, um, I will, I will have these games in Ogre at some point and we will promote them and see if we can get anyone Charlotte area to join us for, for a game that I'm certain we'll talk about (laughs) in an episode of the show. So so that that that's that same story for, for from leveling and, and you're right, Brian. The the relative effectiveness of characters today is something that I'm very concerned about because of what poor Chris had to endure for these sessions. But um let's go ahead and jump into talking about our other issue. So, you know, no names and, and honestly, no hard feelings. Everyone plays differently. But um I had given guidance for rolling a character where I recommended that even though it was basic fantasy and technically in basic fantasy, you should roll, you know, 3d six. Um, I actually asked for a point spread, a point, a point spread, not point by, but a point spread where in fourth edition wizards had these three point spreads that you could pick from. Um, 
And I asked this new player to use one of those, and he didn't. He rolled his own character. And his character was rocking uh, some 18s, some 17s, some 16s. I don't think he had anything below like a 15. Yeah. Uh, I I wonder if his um, dice was uh, juiced a little bit. Yeah, or if he was rolling 5d6, dropped the lowest two, instead of 4d6, dropped the lowest one. But uh, Hey, it all works out, right? Yeah, it all works out. Okay, can we talk about the quote? Yeah, you want you want me to do it, or do you want to, or do you want to do it? So when I called him out on it, um, he said to me <laughs> and Brian, he said, "Yeah, my DMs hate it when I roll my own character." And oh man, I don't want to curse. I don't want to start cursing on the show. But at the time, I cursed, and I was like, "I'll, I'll choose a different word." I said, "Why?" Because you freaking cheat. Yeah, and and he kind of looked at me eyes wide, and he was like. No, I, I, this is just this. I always roll characters like this. I, I'm I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Brian, there, there there there's a lot of beliefs out there in the world. Um, dice are wonderful in role playing games because they're unbiased. Um, yeah. Relatively speaking, there's there's those famous YouTube videos where you can float your d20s in a, in a salt water bath and see if it is biased. But even that, I have to believe, has a pretty minimal impact on what the dice actually roll. But I don't believe in people who always roll low or who always roll high. I just don't think that makes any sense. I feel that I probably, I, I don't know. I think with the dice that I play that I roll high out of uh, proportion to rolling low. Really? I feel that way. We, I want to put that to the test one day. We, sh- we should do the saltwater bath and actually test our dice. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think my dice are perfectly, uh, God, what would be the right way of fair? I don't think, I was actually thinking more in terms of engineering, how they're constructed, but it, it, it boils down to whether they're fair or not. I don't, I don't think that they're 100% fair. So with a D20, sure. With D6s. Oh, God, it shouldn't matter at all. Yeah. It, or it's, it's, it should be ha- so much more minimal. You would, I mean, you'd have to weight it down. You'd, like, literally have to have a weight. Yeah, loaded dice feel yeah, funny. Like, yeah. have you ever handled a pair of loaded die? Uh, I, no, I have not, but I, 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 can, I can imagine what they feel like. Yeah, it's like handling one of those wobbly egg toys from when you were a kid. A weeble. A weeble, yes. It's like handling a weeble. You can just feel that, that its center of gravity is way off. Anyway, um, that, was, that, that was the start of the issues. And then for this to be someone's first session, I'm like for me, first session, new game. Um, when we played at Mace last year, Brian, and we were at someone else's table, my main goal is to not rock the boat. Yeah. I, I, let, let me let me see how others at the table are engaging. Let me notice what goes over well, and let me do a little bit of that. Let me, if I notice a glaring logistical hole in the game, let me not, you know, take massive advantage of it. Let me not leverage the heck out of it. And I, I just don't want to derail someone else's game. I, I, I want to, in, in the first session at least, I want to go along to get along. And that wasn't what we saw at all. No, it wasn't. So let's let's keep talking about the game. So we finished the combat for this temple. Um, you guys get your 200 gold piece reward from, from the cleric Algal. And a lot of this too, by the way, I was really trying to have these different mini adventures. Have you guys make amends to the town of Falkrest? I had these brief after every one of these role-play encounters with the person that you're getting the reward from, you know, the lady that you had to inform, you know, that Sandworms had eaten her husband, uh, the the guy who owned the mine, and you were letting him know that you'd, you'd taken out the monsters, and, and this cleric. We had these little role-play sessions where, for me, I recognized that what happened in Dusk, uh, when, when, when 
you guys killed some of the, the, the town citizens, some of the young ladies that were under a vampire's charm spell. I'll never get over that. Yes, but I was trying to get you guys over that. I didn't recognize at this time, in real time, as we played the game, I thought, this is something I need to get the players over, get the town over, and have a narrative reason for, for some healing, for some psychological and emotional healing. Can I, just for a second, can I diverge from what we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Nathan, who we play with, listens to the podcast, and he actually, I think he brought this up in the past game, with Chris, because in a way, we threw Chris under the bus, uh, because, uh, of course, Chris is the one who actually said, yep, the girls are dead. You know, that was a fatal blow. Um, <laughs> and uh, Chris feels no remorse all these years later. Yeah, we, we in our last game, we told him about the, the, the Dusk episode and that we threw him under the bus. And he was like, yeah, no, they were combatants. Yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> like, if, if I could do that over again, um, I would totally, totally play that different. You know... What would be fun if so? What would be fun if somehow we could uh, construct a game where basically it starts back at that point and it's a chance for just for me to feel better about this situation where that happens? And yeah, at the point where Chris kills the first girl, if I could redo every my actions after that, it would be totally different. That would be fun. It would just, it would at that part, at that point, it would become PV, PVP. So, so you, you sort of want to Groundhog Day this game? I want to Groundhog Day that. So keep playing the session until you get it right. Yes. <laughs> Which, in a way, we've kind of we kind of did that. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, and while we're while we're on this brief aside, let me say too that um, I love playing with Chris. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and Chris's uh, lack of empathy toward imaginary, completely imaginary in game characters in no way indicates a real lack of empathy that Chris has in real life. I Chris, don't know. No, Chris is very empathetic. Yeah, he's yeah, he, it, it, it in no way represents a real lack of empathy. Uh, of all of, of all of us Chris is probably the most normal. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, and he will drop anything to help you with anything that you need. So, in real life, I mean Chris is hugely stand up, but He's an awesome dude. Yeah, I've read stories online about about hey, this my best friend, love my best friend, but when we play RPGs together, he makes choices that are that are that are baffling. That's Chris. To him, it is a game. And he enjoys the RP and he enjoys the story, but at its heart, it is a game. And it should be to me too, but it's not. Yeah. And he makes these choices and I can tell why he does it. In the moment, he does it to move the freaking narrative forward. Like he just wants to get past the scene. Yes. And, and for him, if that means killing some imaginary people who will never be real to him, then that's the price he pays to get everyone past this scene. Moving on from the the, the temple, um, you guys, that, that those were all the posted adventures in the bulletin board. But when you showed back up at the Silver Unicorn, I had Sarah Osterman hand you the very special note. Um, I did it on black paper. Uh, I, I used a silver Sharpie to make it look really kind of interesting and, and well done. But uh, this one reads, meddlers, fools, I grow weary of your interference. Seek me out under the high town millery. Meet your doom if you dare. And then uh, this was the main villain calling you out. Basically, he recognized that these little miniature portals that he'd opened up to, this, to these other dimensions and you know, letting these alien creatures through, you were meddling with his, with his stuff. And this is where you find out that it's all linked. It's all connected. Yeah. Um, and these creatures all had a similar look with, with the, the tentacles and, and the, the alienness and all that. But this is where you find out for sure, hey, this, is, this has all been linked. Um, and you went to the Millery, and 
this was meant to be, you know, again, these were the Paizo Game Mastery cards, and it was it was a series of map cards. And it was a series of map cards with, with, with a long trap-filled corridor and a bunch of rooms, and I had a downstairs and an upstairs and all that. Um, instantly, you guys broke that by heading upstairs and going through a window. But this is when the mechanics sort of got out of hand. We were using BFRPG's treasure rolls, and um, one of the characters had rolled a ring of summoning, and that ring would summon a gen. And instantly, I I'm mean, shaking my head. Yeah, Brian's shaking his head. Uh, this player just—it wasn't about the—it wasn't about for him his style of play. And I'm not trying to completely run him into the ground, and even though that's what I'm doing, um, his style of play just so happened to be using the rules not as a tool to tell an interesting narrative or to contain. I think of the rules as a way to contain someone's turn. You're sitting around a table, you're playing make believe, you're basically writing a tandem story where I write a paragraph and then I hand off the, the, the pad and paper to someone else and they write a paragraph. And that's what any RPG is. Yeah. Now the rolling, all it does is it keeps someone from bogarting the story. Yeah. It keeps someone from completely owning the story. So, you know, if you hand me the pad and paper and I write down, you know, and, and my character kills every, all the bad guys and gets all the girls and end of story. No, the dice contain, what I'm able to do. The dice contain my contribution to the story in a way that ensures that everyone around the table can contribute. Exactly. And that's how I see the rules. I've, I've got some comments on that, but go ahead, because we need to explain more what happened. Yes. This other person sees the rules as a thing to be exploited. This other person sees the rules as, hey, if I can get around the rules or get through the rules, I can do whatever I want and my character can be the most ultimate power in the world because I figured out how to hack the rules of this universe. And, and that style of play, I'm, I'm positive it's fun for some people. I don't know if you remember this or not. Yeah. But for context for this person, and I, I'm not beating up on him, but this was, it was very difficult to, to, to play with. Uh, and after the fact, he kept saying, hey, are you guys still playing? No, no, we're not. Um, but he has a regular game that he plays, and he has like 10 people at the table in this regular game. So God knows how long it takes you to get back to have another round. So I'm certain when he gets to his turn, probably everybody at the table tries to have as big of a ridiculous impact as possible because it's going to be so long until... You actually get a chance again to yeah, do it. So it actually is my turn. I butter shine. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and and we probably do owe this person an apology for how we handled things. But let me keep talking about. So, so I see the rules as container. This person sees the rules as something to be exploited. And and, and through expl and that's an just an anathema to me, as far as the way that I play, because, um, to me, exploiting the rules are like exploiting the laws of gravity. Yeah. Exploiting the laws of physics, like. Like, gosh, if I could just find this exploit, then I could kill all the bad guys and get all the girls and have all the power and have all the gold. And, and I just don't get that. So, so very different approaches, very, very different approaches. Um, and and basically, we, the lesson to take away from here isn't that this person is wrong. There's a whole genre of literature, Brian, that I just found out about recently called lit, R lit RPG. Really? Yes. It's about people 
who find themselves or find their avatars in, in some MMO type setting. And basically it's an entire genre of literature about exploiting the rules and about their characters attaining all this insane power through exploiting the rules. So, I mean, so this sounds like, um, like a Mary Sue type deal. I've only read one so far and I don't, I, I don't want to get into that cause I, I didn't, I didn't love it, but I, I could see it being a good genre. Um, but I guess what I'm all, all I'm trying to really say with that statement about the lit RPG is that there's a whole genre of literature about people who love the idea of exploiting this stuff. And I, I will mention another thing that I, that I read. Um, there's a, yes, I'm, I'm about to totally geek out and lose half the audience. There's a Harry Potter fan fiction called, I think it's Harry Potter and the natural 20 or Harry Potter and the D 20. But the, the idea of it is, is that a, a, a basically a dungeons and dragons wizard finds himself coexisting or existing in the world of Hogwarts and complaining about the rules and how easy the rules of Hogwarts as he learns them are to exploit. And throughout this fan fiction, he exploits the heck out of the wizarding, the Hogwarts wizarding rules. Uh, And I love that story. So I could see where exploiting the rules can be fun for some people. So this person is not inherently a bad player, but when I sit down at the table and rules exploiting being something that I just don't get, don't understand. Um, they're a bad player for my game. Yeah, it's it's like dating. Not everybody is compatible. Yeah, and that's okay. So a big big lesson learned here is it's okay to not be able to play with everyone. So we mentioned a little bit of, I guess, to get this across. So he effectively we we feel probably cheated when it came to rolling his character he would try to um basically hack the rules to his advantage mm-hmm. uh even in the game what what else uh just to get to reemphasize the the challenges of playing with this person the last so th- those are two things the last thing is that he very much saw me as the dm as the adversary i was the enemy and, and i to me i see us all as a team yeah but he spent time whispering to other players where he wanted to have an aside where the GM couldn't hear. And that to me just doesn't make any sense. Like I, I'm not here as your enemy. I'm here as the arbiter of the rules to ensure that everyone is able to contribute to the story. And that's the main thing I'm after. I set up the antagonist. Sure. But my goal is not that the antagonists win. My goal is that the antagonists are interesting and that they're trying to win. And if that means that sometimes you lose, then fine, because you have to have that threat. But I'm not trying to kill you, because if I were trying to kill you, I would just drop a level 20 dragon into where whatever room you are, and then boom, game over, I win. So the, the, the having the, the thought that the, G, that the GM is trying to win is, is inherently flawed. If I wanted to win, I could. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to win. So taking other characters aside and whispering to them, and coming back to the table with this kind of smug grin about how you're going to exploit the situation that I've set up, that was really freaking annoying. So I will. I do want to mention. I do want to mention this yeah, one yeah. thing. So uh, a, a couple of games ago, like where you you started writing on the board uh, how many hit points that your character has left or yeah. whatever. No, no, no. The, the, the monsters. The monsters have yes. left. Yeah. Well, so I think it was you, and I, I, I said it for comedic effect, but in a way, it's true. Uh, somebody asked, well, how many hit points do you have left? And I'm like, I'm not telling you. Reason being is that I had one left. And it's happened a couple of times. I've had one left. 
And for comedic effect, I wanted to um, go into an unwinnable situation and just die. (laughs) Not that – because I knew I would probably be rezzed or something. Um, But that's probably the closest I think I've ever come to in trying to hoard information and and be secretive when it's for the effect of either a laugh or for drama – uh, I I just don't get the the lack of cooperation because to me it, it's it's a collaborative story. That's the whole freaking point. Yep. So I felt justified in in not having this person in my game anymore. Yeah. Read a lot online about people kicking players out and the whole just never speaking to this person again. It's just it's not a great way to do it. So we didn't handle it. I didn't handle it the best way that I possibly could have. It's fine. Yeah. Um. But I I could. In the future, I would handle it in a more upfront way. I would say, hey, we're not a fit. We're not compatible. Um, our, our game's not going to work for you. Your style of play doesn't work for me. And that's okay. It's okay to happen. Um, I really wish I'd handled it better. So, I wish I'd been more upfront about it. So I, honestly, and again, I, I'm not trying to force the business ethos, but in a lot of ways, it's like an interview. And because somebody doesn't get a job doesn't mean they're not a good, capable, smart person. It's that working on a team with somebody, you have to be compatible. You should, you don't have to be, but in an ideal situation, you're going to be compatible. You're going to like your coworkers. You're going to have empathy for your coworkers. If they need help, you'll, you want to be able to be willing to help them. And if you get frustrated by working with somebody, um, you don't want to work with them. And that's why part of the reason that we have the interview process, it's flawed, but it does give you an idea as to not only is the person capable but are they compatible? Yeah. I feel like HR tries to turn the interview process into nothing but numbers because, hey, numbers are defensible in the case of a lawsuit. Yeah. But um, I, I'm i going to misquote this all the pieces, and I apologize. Google it at home. I'm, I'm not going to Google it. I'm just going to say it. I remember reading about Google and yeah. their hiring practices, and they used to ask all these really interesting questions like, how would you solve this crazy hypothetical problem? You know, hey, you have a you have a cake in front of you, and you can only make three cuts – but I need you to make eight equal size pieces. How would you do that? Um, and by the way, the answer is to make the two cuts obviously yeah. ninety degrees apart, and then the third cut is actually a, horizo- a horizontal yeah. cut through the middle. Yeah. So there, there are right answers, but they, but they would ask these brain teasers, and then Google did an internal study and discovered that those brain teasers <laughs> weren't actually hiring or exposing the best candidates; that it was behavioral questions. So Google as a company moved away from the crazy brain teasers, the, the crazy famous Google interview questions, and they started asking behavioral questions, which are questions like, you know, hey, here's a situation. How have you handled it in the past, and how would you handle it now? And that question is explicitly trying to measure fit on a team. D- does your style of leadership, which you, would it work in this given situation? My sister is a teacher. And we were comparing notes recently on, on corporate world versus teaching world on how to handle issues and, and how to handle complaints. And she was asking me, well, what would you do if you were in the situation? And I was like, oh, you escalate that immediately. You let HR know, you let your manager know, and you make sure, you, you know, you make sure all the right people know so that you can handle it. And in, in her world, in the world of teaching and public education, that's not what they're encouraged to do at all, at least not in her school. They're encouraged to handle it. Hey, document it, note it. But handle it. Yeah. Make the call right there in the room and handle it. Handle and it yourself. We're talking about probably something where it's uh, 
behavioral is probably not yes. the best way of putting it. Behavioral. Yeah. So in our world, Brian, it's it's fear of lawsuit and escalate. Yeah. In the world of public schools, um, yes, I mean certainly they're concerned about lawsuits and certainly they're concerned about things like that, but but not not it's not their overriding concern. Yeah, they're and, more concerned with being very reactive and effective in the moment. Yeah, I mean, part of it is you know the whole process of education and growing works a lot of that crap out of you. Yep. But I guess what I'm trying to illustrate there isn't that that schools are wrong or the corporate's wrong. They're both right for their given situation, and that means both styles of leadership, both answers to the question. Yeah. Like if I were interviewing to be a teacher, and they asked me a behavioral question, and I say escalate, 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 they're going to say, "Oh, this guy's not a fit." And that's okay. Yeah. I, I can be not a fit somewhere. Everyone can be not a fit somewhere. And that applies to your game. You cannot be a fit for someone's game. Other people cannot be a fit for your game. And it's okay. They're not bad people. They're not evil people. You're not an evil GM. You're not an evil player for stepping away. You're just not a fit. Yeah. And when you when you phrase it in those terms, so much easier to have the conversation. And I think, I mean, so... We're in a position where we are friends and we play together and other games that you've played, you've been with friends. I know that a lot of people I've read that they have basically go to things like Craigslist and say they're starting up a game. So where I think we have, for the most part, have been very fortunate to already have a good understanding of our personalities and had an agreement upon what we wanted out of our games. I could see this being a much, much, much bigger issue for people who don't have a group of friends that they play with but instead have to rely on meeting up with strangers or like when we were at Mace, the uh, one guy who DM'd so differently than what we were used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, again, we're fortunate that we've had one consistent troop effectively. Uh, but the more people you play with and the, the variety of people, I mean, I think this is a hugely important. I honestly, I bet that a lot of people probably play a game that doesn't fit their play style or what they would want to play. And it probably turns them off in general. It's what happened to me the first time I ever played. Um, honestly, the, the the person who was trying to GM never did it before. And it was a, it was very awkward. And this was when I was a teenager, uh, but it gave me an idea of what it was like. That just wasn't the case. And had things been different held, maybe I'd have been playing, you know, um, D and D for more than half my life, but I didn't. It is funny how, how much compatibility has to do with it and how, how like interviewing or dating yeah, it really is. And you have to find it's, – it's so much about the chemistry of the group. I mean a good rule set doesn't make a good game. A good group makes a good game, yeah. period. Yeah. Like we have played a number of different rule sets, and I'm looking forward to, to future episodes where we talk about just even aside from D20, just different rule sets and how we handled it. Because as a group, we've been able to take a we attitude toward those different rule sets and, and take those on because we have a good group with good chemistry. Uh, speaking of different rule sets, our next show will be about a D100 system. Well, it depends on whether or not we can get Mike. Yes. Yeah, if we can get, I would love to get Mike on the show to, for Mike to talk to us about his games that were in the same universe that were in Fallcrest, but in which I was a player. Okay. Uh, but once, if, if we, yeah, once we get through that, we'll talk about, yeah, we, we went through a period of time where we ran a ton of one shots in different systems. And, uh, one of the systems that we revisited three times, yeah, three times was Chaosium's, um, basic role-playing system, not to be confused with, with BFRPG. This is just BRP. Yeah. I, I confused the two. Yep. 
but it's, it's a D100 based system. And we played three games in that um, and had some good experiences, had some bad experiences, and, and I'm looking forward to talking about this. Yeah. Um, I do want to really quickly, for those of you who are like, well, what happened? What happened? Um, basically, they, they, they went into this millery, um, and it was a cult. It was a cult of people that were opening these portals in various places and, and letting these monsters from another dimension through. And the players were able to um, defeat this cult leader, but this was the very last game we played with these characters. Yeah. Um, I couldn't get any interest from you guys to play and continue this campaign, which is a shame because fifth edition came out shortly thereafter. Yeah. And, uh, I actually, we played a different set of characters in the same universe in Winterhaven instead of Fallcrest. And to try to get you guys back into this game, I actually had an NPC attempt to hire your new characters to kill your old characters. Yeah. And I was going to, I was going to deploy a trope that I've never deployed and that I've wanted to deploy. There's so many tropes but I've never done the anti-party where your enemy is another group of, you know, really capable people. So once we get with back mixed talents, once we get back into fifth edition, I think we, maybe we could do that. We'll talk, we'll talk to Mike and we'll talk to, because Nathan wasn't a part of that. No, it'd be hard to incorporate what, him. No, not necessarily. I mean, so time, I mean, times past times, you know, it's, it's, we can assume that we're not rejoining things immediately as it's happened. So it's like, um, God, I just watched the new Transformers movie, and there are all these new characters that pop up because they fall from the sky. God knows Nathan could come from somewhere. Yeah. So I think, you know, it would be, I think that could be fun. And maybe we could fall back in love with those old characters somehow. Yeah, we'll think about it. Yeah. You're, you're grinning. You have no desire to do that. No, I, I do. I really do. There are so many threads that, that I left playing that I want to pick up. Um, you might not remember this, Brian, but at the very end of this session that we're talking about today, um, you guys showed back up at your base, and there was someone in your base. Yeah. And I ended the session there. Yes. And to me, that's a cliffhanger that we've still not resolved. And I know exactly who's in your base, and I very much want to see how you guys— I want to do this now. I know. Really bad. I know. I, I want to see you guys react to it. And I want to see you guys react to an anti-party, basically a party of adventurers just like you. Different skills, different—not not, not a mirror party. That, that's just weird. But a party of adventurers with mixed skill sets and mixed races and classes and backgrounds who were trying to kill you for revenge for killing those, 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 those fans. So two things. One, I remember it a little differently. I was thinking that the anti-party, that we would be the anti-party going after our old troop of characters. We could do both ways. And that's when, – when you mentioned that's how in my mind what it was. But honestly, I think I would rather go back and play as Malkior again. I guarantee you I could fall right back into place. Yeah, the anti-party would work either way. Yeah. If you wanted to kill your old characters, then your old characters are the anti-party. Yeah. Where the, well, where the nemesis, they're not monsters out of the monster yeah. manual. They're fully realized characters with actual player character character sheets that you're fighting. Yeah. Um, that's the trope of the anti-party. Yeah. Or if you wanted to play as Malkior, then... Just some group of adventurers hired to kill you. Now they're the anti-party. But the idea is that instead of monsters out of the monster manual, I will have literally generated characters with their own character sheets with lots of mixed abilities and, and lots of uh, different teamwork dynamic. But very much it would be a team coming after you. Do we still have our old character sheets? It'd be like the X-Men going after the Avengers. Yeah. Hey, that happened recently. Uh, do we still have our old character sheets lying around maybe? I, I, th I think I have digital copies of mine. I don't know. 
Dude, dude, I, 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 I think yes. I'm sorry. Yes, we do because when fourth edition was was close, and I was ending my subscription yeah. to D&D Insider, I downloaded all the characters as .xps files. How hard would that be to convert over? Not very. Not dude, very. At we all. need to do this. <laughs> I'm excited. I am genuinely excited about this. All right. Well, you heard it here first, and we'll report back to you in a few months when 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 our episodes catch up to our game, and, and we'll talk about this. I would love to do that. All right, let's talk about it. We'll. we'll I I would love to as well. I would love to finish up that storyline. I don't want to finish it up. I just want to continue it. Okay, fair enough. I I would love to pick up some of those threads. Okay, awesome. All right, well, we'll do that. Um, Hey, that's it for this session. Um, We talked a little bit more about converting Chris's character and understanding rule set. We talked about problem players and problem games and how you're you're not labeling the character. You're not labeling the game. You're labeling the relationship. The combination, the combination makes it a bad fit. Um, don't be shy about talking about those things. Don't be shy about saying, Hey, you know, I'm not having fun with this person or this person's not having fun with us. Your, your leisure time is to be protected and defended. And those couple of hours that you spend playing RPGs should be good. And they should make you want to play more. If any part of it feels like a chore, then do what we're talking about doing. Have that metagame conversation with someone and find a way to make sure that you're having fun. And in the case of our good friend, Jason, we talked about, you know, last week, we still have a great relationship with him. In fact, uh, Brian, you're, you're about to go have lunch with Jason. Yeah, I sure am. So, uh, it doesn't mean that the friendship's over, you know, defend your fun, defend your fun. I like it. Have a good week. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned and we're sharing ours with you. <laughs>